I think training up people to be facilitators is the way to ensure you have that homegrown talent that can go out and train other people in innovation and innovation that is for your culture and your people specifically as well. So we're saying that this isn't just for the elite few in the like kind of like an ivory towers innovation lab somewhere off in um, San Francisco or something. This is training, um, yes, for those people, but also for different groups with different needs so that an entire organization could be equipped with the right skills to be able to innovate well. I think training Although the topics might be similar, it has to be tailored to the audience. It's not one size fits all, and I think that's an important thing to remember. When you're in a training environment, something might seem very straightforward, and then you take it back to your working life and you realise, actually, this or that that I never thought about before is standing in my way of achieving this. Like, I fundamentally don't really believe in the sort of webinar style training. I think webinars are good for certain things, but if you really want to learn about something, especially something practical like innovation, you have to practice it, right? That's why it's a practical skill. <laughs> Hello and welcome to 90's Lessons from the Frontline podcast. If you're not familiar with 90, we specialize in insurance innovation. That is taking new insurance ideas to market in 60 days and building best practice innovation capabilities for insurers in 12 months. Uh, the industry has uh, recently voted us as consultancy of the year for the second year in a running, which we're, we're really proud of and grateful for. Um, and in our work, we get to work with insurers like Allianz, AXA, Travelers, Aetna and Swiss Re across the US, the UK and Europe. Our namesake at 90 comes from the fact that we're a social enterprise because we give 90% of our distributable profits to charity. Um, if you've been listening to this podcast before, you'll know that what we're aiming to achieve in this series is to let you hear from some of our insurance innovation consultants and to ask them to share their experiences at the front line of insurance innovation projects at 90. So welcome. I'm Dan Webster. I'm an insurance innovation consultant at 90. And today will be a very special episode as I'm joined here with my colleague, Emily Gardner, who is a training specialist at 90 here. So welcome, Emily. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very good. Yes, I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, you'll know I've been trying to get you onto this podcast for quite a while to talk about innovation and training at 90. I'm very glad you could make it. Yeah, me too. I've been looking forward to it. Excellent. Um, before we get into the content, Emily, um, and the conversation of, of today, where I'm hoping we'll be able to talk a bit about, well, what your role is, what does an innovation trainer at 90 do? How do you help insurers to innovate? Um, also, I'm wanting to get into the skin a bit of um, what you try to achieve in your role as a trainer. What are some of the differences you've been able to make? What works, what doesn't? What are some of the learnings? So I'm hoping that we're going to have a wide-ranging conversation about that. But before we get into that, um, I'd just like to probably start with a question that is, what kind of things do you get up to as an innovation trainer at 90? What does your role look like? Who do you help? What do you do? Yeah, that's a, a good question. So I guess the majority of my role is heading up training at 90. And as part of that, it's all about designing and developing and delivering training experiences for our clients 
who, as we all know, are uh, insurers of different varieties. Um, and so what that really looks like is finding out about the needs of the client and then um, delivering an experience to them, which really helps to upskill their employees and help them feel empowered to innovate. Um, it really depends, depending on the client. So um, we have some longer running programs like um, five day programs that we run on a regular basis. Then we have our flagship product, the Insurance Innovation Bootcamp, which is a three day product. Um, but we also do sort of more bespoke things that come in sort of ad hoc to address specific needs. And we might also use training support on projects as well. So it's quite, it's quite varied and it really depends on the client and what they're looking for. Brilliant. That's very helpful. And before I get into some of my other questions, I just want to pick up on one thing that you said a few times there. You called them training experiences. So I know, of course, we've been doing our training virtually for the past 15 months now. So when you talk about a training experience, what are the kind of things that that involves? How do you make this engaging and experiential? Yeah, it's a good point. And to be honest, I really like to use the word experience because I know that everybody has been through bad training. I know that I've been through plenty of bad training and I don't, I don't like the impression that that's the sort of training that we would do. Like I fundamentally don't really believe in the sort of webinar style training. I think webinars are good for certain things, but if you really want to learn about something, especially something practical like innovation, you have to, practice it, right? That's why it's a practical skill. Um, so when we do training, we tend to focus on the practical. We take real things that we've experienced and we talk about them, but likewise, we also bring in real business problems from our clients and we work through them in the training. So it's not just, we're going to teach you about something we know about. It's kind of, let's have a dialogue and um, let's help you to work through some things that you experience as well. That's the only way that people can really take something and hit the ground running with it and implement it into their daily working life is if they get to practice it in a safe environment first. At least that's the way that I think about it. Yeah, absolutely. I can certainly think of some perhaps more boring training sessions that I've been a part of um, externally in the past and particularly with innovation as well, like bringing people out of their business as usual to be able to experience and learn and apply something different is important as well. Yeah, and you also have to think like, if, if you're giving someone innovation training, a common motivation that we find is that um, people want to give uh, training to their employees because they want them to be excited about innovation and they want them to want to innovate. So, if we're going to achieve that end, we have a duty to make the training fun and inspiring and interactive. Otherwise, it's it's not going to achieve one of its purposes. Absolutely. And that's something that I'd like to dig into a bit deeper, the purposes behind this. So um, I know you take your job very seriously. And so there's a very detailed uh, um, ends for these means of training as well. So. I'd like to just give you the question, Emily, of why is innovation training important? So I look at this in a couple of different ways, I suppose. And I think the number one reason why innovation training is important is about empowerment. So 
I've worked as an insurer before I worked at 90. And um, one thing that I've observed is that in insurance companies in general, people often feel like they can't innovate. And part of that might be cultural, but part of it also might be a sort of internal belief. Like I, I never got taught how to do this, therefore I, I don't know how to do it. Maybe I'm scared to fail. Maybe I feel like I don't have the right structures in place to do that. So I kind of, I mean, this is a bit of an odd metaphor, but I feel like training is kind of like an armor or like, you know, you wouldn't go into battle without the armor on, without having like a, a sword and like a shield and the stuff that you need to enter the fray. And I kind of feel like training is that. It gives people what they need to, to go and start this process of fighting for innovation and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. That makes a lot of sense because um, I know you train very different audiences. So we have a, a belief that um, innovation as like with a, a small I, as in like the verb of doing innovation um, is different to innovation with a capital I, which would be like a successful pilot run or a great um, PR launch of a partnership or something. And uh, a stance that we always take is that the, this innovation with a lowercase i is something that is really powerful and important and is the greater goal. And what you're talking about here is um, empowering people and almost democratizing innovation across an organization. So we're saying that this isn't just for the elite few in the like kind of like an ivory towers innovation lab somewhere off in um, San Francisco or something. This is training, um, yes, for those people, but also for different groups with different needs so that an entire organization could be equipped with the right skills to be able to innovate well. Yeah, absolutely. And I can give you an example. I think training, although the topics might be similar, it has to be tailored to the audience. It's not one size fits all. And I think that's an important thing to remember. So for example, when we teach prioritization, and you'll know this, Dan, because you've taught prioritization alongside me to different groups of people. When we teach prioritization to people who are going to be practitioners, we'll teach them how they can uh, have a vote of the room in a session and we'll teach them how to avoid bias and we'll teach them how to get people together to make decisions. When we do the same topic with more senior people, we talk more about things like portfolio management. How do you structure your portfolio? How do you um, use different methodologies to prioritize that portfolio? And obviously that's because those groups of people have different needs. A senior leader is less likely to need to do rapid prioritization in a workshop compared to somebody who, you know, that's their key role and responsibility. So when we think about training, it's always with the target audience in mind and thinking about how can we tailor what different groups of people need to be aware of. Absolutely. And we're getting quite meta here now by teaching design thinking, using design thinking in the process. So thinking yeah. about who our customer persona is and making sure that we're tailored to their specific needs so that they can use it in their situations. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember when we were designing um, our flagship offering, offering the boot camp, we, we did follow those principles. You know, we, we trained ourselves to create the training. I think it's important to be consistent with that sort of thing. 
Yeah, and I know you like the slogan that um, this is training for practitioners by practitioners. And I know this training and practice that we have at 90 came off the back of questions that we were asked by clients all the time on our consulting projects that what we've experienced in the project is great. We've got our new insurance idea to market in 60 days or, or whatever the engagement was. How can we do this ourselves sustainably? How can we do the stuff that you guys have been able to do with us? And so this has been the birth of training, right, at 90? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the best things about that motto, training for practitioners by practitioners, is the ability to be transparent. So mm. for me, it's really important that when we deliver training to people, they don't think that we are the people in the room that know absolutely everything, who are the gurus of innovation and have never made a mistake. Um, we try and intentionally talk about times where we've been on projects and this hasn't worked or that hasn't worked, as well as talking about things that have been successful. I think honesty and showing vulnerability is a key skill to have both as a trainer and someone who works in innovation. So it's an important thing to put across when we're doing those, those interactions with clients. Indeed, yes. And I think that, that, um, that leads us on to a question that I wanted to ask you, which was um, when we're talking about delivering innovation training, and what are some of the outcomes that you would be looking to transfer to people? So I know that you talk about it and think about it in terms of skills and mindsets, but what are the difference between those? And what are some of the goals that you're trying to give people in terms of new mindsets and then skills to be able to be an outlet to that? Yeah, so I think when people think about skills and mindsets, they see them as two things which are completely different. And one thing that I think is a common view, particularly around mindsets, is that it's something that either you have or you don't have. Mm. And therefore, in a way, it would be pointless to train someone in a mindset, something like, you know, creativity, because some people are creative and some people aren't. Um, but fundamentally, this isn't true. And we believe at 90 that you can train a mindset just like you can train a skill. We think that mindsets are practical and therefore that they can be taught. And we also teach other people how to unlock those mindsets in others. So if you're a facilitator um, and that's going to be your role as an insurance innovator, you need to learn how you can unlock creativity in a practical way in those other people in the room. The same with curiosity and failure and, and all of these other things that people talk about as something unobtainable. Um, I think they are obtainable. And I think training is a good way to unlock those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that mindset side is absolutely critical. And when we're talking about the skills side of things, like what would be some of the learning outcomes there? I guess it might be dependent upon audience again, but what do you think? Yeah, so it really depends on the group of people that you're um, training. So if we take the Insurance Innovation Bootcamp as an example, that's geared towards practitioners. So really the learning outcomes that we're looking for from something like the Bootcamp is to help people understand how they can apply an innovation methodology to their daily working life. 
that will be things like understanding how to identify problems and turn them into a problem statement so you can start to solve them. Or it might be, um, how can I identify where there are assumptions around my idea and test those assumptions? But we also do training on other levels. So we train facilitators. And when we train facilitators, the sorts of outcomes we might be looking for are understanding how to run an ideation session, understanding how to cultivate psychological safety in a group, or understanding how to unlock mindsets with a group of people when they come together in a room. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I've got a couple of questions off, off the back of that. Um, one is, how do you know that you've met those outcomes? Because I imagine that could be quite tricky, specifically with training. With consulting, you have a deliverable, it's in a contract, it's in a statement of work, you can know whether you've met that deliverable or not. So with training, where that might be a bit more fuzzy, how do you measure those learnings? And then secondly, like, are there any stories or examples that you could tie to that about people that might have gone through the boot camp and changed how they've uh, worked or been able to do or implement something differently. And I wonder if um, either of those bring any thoughts to your mind. Yeah, definitely. So I think with training, you're right. There's not a, such a tangible outcome as there is in consulting. So when we do consulting projects for clients, we'll come out and we'll say, here we go, we've helped you to develop this product. And, you know, here it is, people can buy it or you know whatever it is that we're developing with training it's less tangible than that in a way because it's about personal development however what we always do when we run training with people is to coach subsequently so we'll go in and we'll see how people have been implementing those learnings into their daily working lives and that also gives us the opportunity to help recalibrate people because when you're in a training environment, something might seem very straightforward. I'm sure you've had that experience. I know I definitely have. Something seems really straightforward and you think, why wasn't I doing that before? And then you take it back to your working life and you realize actually this or that that I never thought about before is standing in my way of achieving this. So for us, it's really important that we go back in and we have time with people we've trained to establish you know, how can we help you to continue to implement this in your day to day? And during those sessions, we'll also check in with people and we'll see how have they managed to implement things that they have learned. In the case of stories of uh, where things have gone, um, we've worked on training boot camps before where we've come away and people have actually implemented in a project setting ideas that they've come up with during the training session. So I think that's that's one sort of good example. Yeah, that's true. I remember that was a bootcamp that me and you ran a, a few months ago, which an idea that came out of it then led on to a actual, um, well, project using our, our one, two, three framework that was um, delivered upon some thinking that happened in the training session. Yeah, and I think the training works really nicely especially when it's sort of bookended yeah. by project work. It's always nice to see people come into the training and say, I'm working on this project at the moment. And they're able to take the training and apply it straight away into that project setting and say, you know, this is how I've moved that forward. Mm. 
yeah absolutely so yeah it's very much a case of meeting people where they are and being able to always apply the learnings and the teachings to specific situations that they're in which um i know you tried to do very hard with like breakout rooms after learnings to make sure that everything is tangibly pulled back into someone's day-to-day -day about what they can do differently yeah exactly and we do things in in the training such as um project charters for example so talking about mindsets being practical and there's a particular course that i run where we talk about the importance of having a project charter essentially what this is is at the beginning of the project or at the beginning of a specific session we get people in the room to co-create the rules that they want to adhere by so it might be something like one voice at a time or it might be something like um no such thing as a bad idea you know these are simple examples but anything which helps to enforce those mindsets practically and we then get everybody to sign up to those mindsets so an actual signature in person we do it with a giant pencil um and it helps people to behave in that way so when we do training and we train in that specific area we come up with a charter in that session and then we share it with all the participants and they're able to take that charter and straight away go away and use it in their project settings mm. yeah so does um a focus on mindsets so people can think um, differently and behave differently after the workshop but also focus on uh, skills so people are able to do things differently and then also tools that people can just pick up and use and implement straight away as well yeah absolutely and in some cases it it ends up sort of taking on multiple dimensions so for example we've had past participants who have gone through the boot camp and gone on to be really fantastic facilitators you know be able to take those tools they've learned and not just use them in a project setting but actually go on to lead projects using these tools and even teach other people to be innovative in the same way that we taught them they're able to pass it on which i think is really nice i know emily that we mentioned this a little bit later uh, earlier on but when you were if you were to think about any favorite uh, success stories that have come out of 90 innovation training over the past couple of years do you have a favorite or one that comes to mind as your um, favorite success story there yeah i think so i remember a uh, boot camp that we did a little while ago which was with a social enterprises team from a large global insurer and I mentioned earlier that as part of the training we like to bring in a real business topic that we can talk about and work through and in this case it was all about sustainability um, which is a topic very close to our hearts at 90 anyway so we went through the training and as part of that uh, we taught the group how to ideate and we also ran a practical ideation session and during that session um, one of the participants came up with a particular idea in the sustainability space and actually following on from the training there was a lot of momentum that had gathered around this particular idea we were able to take it and explore it in more depth through the rest of that training experience and actually after that there was so much momentum around this idea that the sponsor for the first bootcamp decided it's time, let's get together a group of people who care about sustainability and let's work through this idea and make it into a reality. 
Um, but before they went ahead and did the project work, which they used our 123 framework for, they decided to run another boot camp for the people on the consortium. And the idea behind this was to upskill people because they'd seen the effects from the first training and the difference it had made to those participants. Let's run the training again for this group of people who are going to be on the project and use it to upskill them and move forward this particular project at pace. And it was really effective at, at doing that. I think it's one of the fastest projects we've ever run developing this idea that they came up with in the first bootcamp. So that was a really good success. Yeah, that's a great story. So a bootcamp leading to discussion about an idea and then people also having then the tools and mindsets to be able to think we can actually take this forward now. We have the ability to do that. So training another project team and then going and delivering it. That's it's an awesome outcome. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. It was kind of like a, a wave effect, I guess. Like mm. you could feel the wave growing during the training, the excitement around the topic. And in this scenario, it really galvanized into something much bigger and just sort of kept growing, which was really good to see. Okay, Emily, so there's a question that I like to finish on sometimes with these podcasts. Um, that is, what is one or like, the best or biggest or most impactful learning that you've had as the, the, the lead innovation trainer at 90 that has perhaps changed your mindset or your perspective on innovation? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think for me, the thing that stands out time and time again is the power of the facilitator role. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, you know, I'm really passionate about facilitation. It's my, my, my passion, you know, at, at work. But I really think that not enough investment is given to people who want to be facilitators or who are in the facilitator role. I meet a lot of people when I train who are really natural facilitators, who are very good people people, um, who are very good at presenting ideas, you know, really talented individuals. But I think without the investment into that capability, it's something that is really missing. We don't see many people doing that role really effectively within their organization. So yeah, I guess my biggest learning would be there's really a need for this and a gap for this within the industry. And it's a gap that, that we'd really like to see filled. Yeah, brilliant. That's a fantastic point to end on. And I think it makes so much sense as well. That, um, as a, as a facilitator, your role is to be able to get the best out of the, the people, the colleagues, the team that you have. And we're talking about at the beginning about innovation being something that we could be able to democratize so that everyone can have a role to play and have a responsibility and a remit. And so the role of the person that unlocks that in others is really a, a keystone one. It's a really great point to finish on. Yeah, absolutely. You look like you were going to say something else. Feel free if you were. No, I was just going to say that I think facilitation and training facilitators is the way to ensure longevity. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we can go in and we can train loads of people within your organization. And we'd be very happy to do that. Um, but I think training up people to be facilitators is the way to ensure you have that homegrown talent that can go out and train other people in innovation. And innovation that 
is for your culture and your people specifically as well. I think that's just something really nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. And often these people aren't full-time innovation job title people. They could be, I don't know, we've had various names for them, haven't we, at different clients, whether that's innovation evangelists or community of innovators or just interest groups or something like that, but people who are empowered and equipped to be able to innovate with others. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't have to be innovation in your job title. Um, it's just somebody who has a passion for helping guide people towards solutions. Yeah, perfect summary. And that brings us to the end of our time, unfortunately, Emily. I'd just like to wrap up by just saying thank you very much for your time and joining me today. I know I've been trying to get you on this for quite a while. So once again, thank you very much. No problem. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Great. Good stuff. So for more specialist insurance innovation content, tools and events, you can go ahead and visit 90.com or get in touch with us at contact at 90.com. Um, also, if you'd like to reach out to Emily personally, um, excuse me if I'm just uh, opening up your inbox, spammed here, scam, uh, spammed here, Emily, or maybe scammed, who knows. Um, your email right is emily.gardner at 90.com if anyone wants a, a, a 10, 15 minute chat about any of the content today. Um, is it all right if they contact you, Emily? Yeah, that's fine. And feel free to add me on LinkedIn as well. I uh, share quite a lot of content on there about training, facilitation, life in general. So very happy to connect. You do indeed. Perfect. So thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you on the next episodes.